Uh, I've entitled this, this sermon, um, The Exchange Life, and uh, I, I think that'll come clear to you as we work through the sermon today. Uh, we'll be focusing on just one verse of Scripture. We read some verses before it to get some context, but we'll be in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, uh, what uh, Pastor Dave read uh, earlier. It was uh, uh, been a few months now that my mom came and visited us here in Rock Hill, and she was here for, uh, with us for about uh, two weeks. And it was a Friday that I was trying to decide what we can do together as a family with my, my mom being here. And I approached my mom and asked her, uh, would, you, would you like to go to the mountains? My mom proceeded to dance, dance around the living room. So I, I, you know, I took that as a yes. And so the next day we headed off to uh, Chimney Rock, uh, North Carolina. Many maybe been there. Uh, so we, we packed up the, the kids and uh, got as far as we can, could in the, in the minivan uh, to the base of this uh, mountain. And when you get there, uh, this, it's, it's as it, it's called, Chimney Rock. It's an outcropping of stone and granite. looks like a chimney. And if you've been there, you, you might remember there's an elevator there. Uh, but, of course, the elevator's not working. But there's a spiral uh, staircase that winds around this chimney rock, and we were determined to get to the top of this rock. And so uh, about 30 minutes of, of trekking up this staircase, we, we made it. Uh, but the, the view was worth the journey. Uh, we were up there, just a breathtaking view. To the north was just a, a range of mountains. Uh, to the east, uh, clear blue skies, off touching the horizon. You could see uh, on a, almost, almost 100 miles. I look over to my mom, and she's on her cell phone, and she's calling my sister. And she says, Doris, this is a, it's an amazing view. She says, I wish you were here. Now, I, I don't know, uh, younger folks, uh, if, you, if you know what postcards are. I, th I think they still have those, but um, I think they did, when I, if I remember correctly, in the gift shop. But back in the day, we didn't have the cell phone. We couldn't take the picture, which I did with my mom, and took a picture of her next to the elevation sign, 2,280 feet, uh, texted it to my, to my sister Doris. But back in the day, you couldn't do that. You could go to the, the gift shop, and you find some postcard, and it had a picture of wherever you were, uh, Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, some special place. And then on the back, you could write a special note and just say, you're saying, I'm ha we're having a great time here, and, and you might say, I, I wish you were here to enjoy it with me. In our text today that we're going to focus on, Paul is giving a testimony to the truth, but also to his own experience. He's been to a place, and it's a magnificent view, and he says to us, and the Lord says through Paul to us, I wish you were here in this place. We'll be focusing in on Galatians uh, chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians is a, is a wonderful letter, and uh, Paul uh, found, uh, found those, planted those churches in, in this region, and, uh, but later on these false teachers come through and uh, preaching a different gospel, a perverted gospel. Uh, they are saying that you have to follow the law in order to be saved. But Paul addresses this, this uh, in his letter to, to the churches in Galatia and tells them, no, it's, it's salvation is by faith alone. And so he gives this argument through the letter. He addresses uh, even Peter 
in his hypocrisy about this gospel with, with his actions. And, but then we get to verse 20. And we see here his, the truth and we see his, his experience of the gospel and how, is it, how it's affected him. Um, I'm going to just give a, a kind of a quick outline so you could uh, follow along if you'd like. But uh, three, three uh, aspects that we'll be looking at today. The first aspect uh, of this, belie- the believer's identification with the death of Christ. Believer's identification with the death of Christ. The believer's, second, the believer's identification with the life of Christ. And then lastly, the operating principle in the believer's life. First, let's look at the, the first aspect, the believer's identification with the death of Christ. Uh, let me read the, the whole verse. We're in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. First, we have the believer's identification with the death of Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Alarming statement. I have been crucified with Christ. We think of the crucifixion of Christ. We think of uh, Jesus on the cross, uh, spikes through his hands and feet. His back had been laid bare by the the Romans' whip. Uh, He's struggling for every breath of fresh air. But his physical ailment paled in comparison to his spiritual turmoil. We hear Christ uh, saying to God the Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so we think of the the crucifixion of Christ. And Paul well could have said in Galatians 2.20, Jesus was crucified. uh, And now he's alive. But he doesn't say that. Through the Holy Spirit he says, I have been crucified with Christ. So he makes this identification with Christ on the cross. What, is, what does this mean? What does this uh, say to us? It means a number of things. And as I, as I dive through, through this and say this, it, more things that we can say here, but at least two things that we, I would like to look at. First, in God's mind, in God's reckoning, and in Paul's mind, in his reckoning, Paul was there. Paul's sin was there laid on the shoulders of Christ. Jesus was bearing the price for Paul's sin. Think about Paul. Uh, he described himself as a, you know, the chief of sinners. Before he was the great missionary to the Gentiles, he was the great uh, enemy of, of the church. Before he was the great preacher, he was the great persecutor of the church. Indeed, he was the chief of sinners. Ironically, uh, for many, though, he was a respected religious leader. He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Abraham, concerning uh, zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the the righteousness in the law. He was blameless. But there was one problem. Concerning Christ, he had no faith. He had no faith in Christ. And so he was this uh, chief of sinners. But Paul says in this statement, I have been crucified with Christ. There was this realization in Paul's mind that his sin was laid there on Christ at the cross. You see it there in the beginning of Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, who gave himself, Jesus, for our sins. Paul's sin was there on the cross. 1 Peter 2, 24, who himself, again referring to Jesus, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. 
Friend, Paul, Jesus not only bore Paul's sin on the cross, he bore your sin on the cross. Think of your sins. Think of all your failures, your shortcomings. Think of your, your greatest sin that you can think of or, or remember. Paul bore your sins on the cross. So that you can say along with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. Uh, there's an old illustration. Um, uh, consider uh, this, this uh, book uh, here to, to uh, record all of your, your words, your deeds, your thoughts, all of your sins in your, in your life. You could well think of an encyclopedia of, of books. We'll say just, for instance, this, this book. This left hand represents your life. Uh, uh, the right hand represents Christ, who is blameless, who is without sin. This sin you bear. You bear the guilt of your sin. You bear the penalty of your sin. But in Isaiah 53, it's 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each one to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the good news. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. That's the good news. Paul could say, I was crucified with Christ because in his reckoning, in God's reckoning, Paul was sent, sin was laid there on the shoulders of Christ. That's the first aspect. The second aspect of this, Paul's sin was um, laid on the shoulders of Christ. The second aspect of this, and it follows from the first. If Paul's sin was there, then Paul was dead to the law. The law says, for the wages of sin is death. If, if Christ bore Paul's sin, then Christ paid the penalty uh, for Paul's sin. The demand of God's law is met through the death of Christ. Uh, for the wages of sin is death. We deserve an infinite punishment because we have offended an infinite God. And only Jesus could pay that infinite price. Uh, you think of the murderer who's on, the, on death row, who's uh, been um, declared guilty and will be executed. He has only one life to give. He gives, uh, he is executed. He can't be executed again and again and again in, a, in civil law. In, in Christ's um, economy, we owe an infinite punishment. If we bear our own sins, then we will have to pay an infinite punishment unless we lay our sins at the foot of the cross and Christ could pay that infinite price. In the context of this letter, uh, Paul had preached the gospel to these, um, uh, to these churches in Galatia, and they had received Christ uh, by faith. And you, in studying Galatians, you, you see this word, justification. What is justification? It's to be declared righteous before God. It's the opposite of condemnation, to be declared guilty. And, and Paul, in, in verse 16, uh, gives a, a main argument in his letter. I'll read quickly. In uh, chapter 2, verse six, 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. For by works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Paul says it three times. You're justified by faith in Christ. Uh, he's, he's given this gospel, but others come in, these false teachers and say, no, you have to do something additional. You have to follow the law's 
law of Moses. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the dietary laws of the Jews. You have to uh, follow uh, all the, the feast days of the Jews. Someone has said that Judaism was the cradle of Christianity, but Judaism also almost became the grave of Christianity. Paul would have nothing of it, so he writes this letter, and so you don't need to follow the law in order to be saved. It is through faith alone. Have you died to the law? Have you died to the law? Are you still uh, trying to use your good works to merit your standing before God? Are you trying to follow some tradition, some religious teaching? Do you believe church membership will earn salvation? Do you believe baptism will earn salvation? Do you believe good deeds will earn salvation? These are all good and right things in their place. But as far as our salvation, they do not merit us uh, God's uh, uh, salvation. Have you died to the law? Uh, you, if you can, uh, can you imagine this conversation taking place in, in heaven? Two people are walking the streets of gold and, and one person says, but for the grace of God, I would never be here. I believed on Christ and he rescued me when I was a hopeless case. Thank God for saving me, giving me the faith to believe. The other person says, uh, yeah, you know, I believed in Christ, but I, I felt like that was not enough. I had to do more to earn God's uh, salvation, to merit uh, salvation. That, that conversation will never uh, happen in heaven. God forbid. This first aspect of identification with the death of Christ. I am crucified with Christ. My sin was laid there on the shoulders of Christ. And because of that, I am now dead to the law. I am now dead to the law. I don't have to strive for salvation. God, Jesus on the cross, has paid that price for me. That's the first aspect of uh, salvation we see in verse 20. The second aspect we see is the believer's identification with the life of Christ. We, uh, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, and thank God the, you know, the verse does not end there. You know, we, we're not walking around like uh, zombies on this earth. Um, the good news is Christ is alive. Christ is risen risen again, and because he is risen, I am risen as well. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. I'm reminded of Romans chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his res resurrection. Christ lives in me, in the heart of every believer. If, you're Christ, if Christ bore your sins, you trusted in him, you're dead to the law. And the wonderful truth is, Christ lives in you. There's the truth of that that I'd like to look at uh, first. Uh, just uh, an amazing truth uh, that almost is unbelievable unless... But, of course, we find it in Scripture. Christ lives in me. Colossians 1, 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the uh, exchange life. You have died to your uh, former way of life and is, has been exchanged with this life in you, who is Christ. 
2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, his, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Believer, you are like the, uh, the lowly caterpillar, gro- groveling around this earth, eating grass and leaf. But one day you uh, die to yourself, and you burst forth from that cocoon, raised to new life. And you're, you're uh, um, the, the lovely uh, butterfly. We see the truth of this. Christ lives in me. Uh, what bearing does that have? We accept it as true. It's in Scripture. Christ lives in me. So what? What's, what can that mean for me? We see an application in this. Um, and there's many things that, that we could say here, and, but this is what comes to mind. The life of Christ that we see lived out in the gospel is the pattern of life that we'll see lived out in our own lives. If Christ lives in us, there should be some reflection we see in our own life that mirrors the fact that Christ lives in us. Think about uh, Jesus in the gospel. gospels. We see... Uh, Jesus, uh, 12 years of age, uh, he's there in the temple, he's, he's asking questions, he's answering questions, uh, he's uh, growing in wisdom and in favor with God and man. Uh, young believer, if you're in Christ, if Christ lives in you, you'll be seeking, you'll be asking questions, seeking to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. We see Christ uh, at 30 years of age, and he's, uh, at this point, he's beginning his, his public ministry uh, to perform that particular calling that God the Father had placed on his life. Well, believer, Christ lives in you. Do we reflect that? Uh, now, we're all, all at different uh, particular stages of our life, but wherever we're at, whether we're young or old, there is this sense that the Lord has a particular calling on my life where it's, it's, I'm not just surviving through life uh, like, a, like a ship without a sail tossed to and fro with the wind, but it's, it's a sense that we have set our sail and we've trimmed our sail and we're, 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 we're looking, looking to God, looking for direction, wanting to follow His particular plan in, in our life. We see Christ uh, tempted in the wilderness. Um, <clears throat> Christ tempted in the wilderness. Well, Christ lives in you. Believer, you know this. Uh, you've been uh, tempted and you will be tempted. Um, uh, we, we look to Christ and how he handled that. Uh, Christ is our escape. No temptation has overtaken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will make the way of escape. We see Jesus walking on the sea. No, don't, don't try that. But Christ, Christ lives in you. And so again, there's, there's a sense when uh, circumstances uh, confront us and assail us. Finances uh, are, are, not, are not as they should be or feel as they should be. The job is, is, not, is not going right. Coworkers are our enemies. Relationships are not working out. Uh, children are rebelling. Our health is failing. There's this sense that we look to Christ and grab His hand and in, as it were, able to walk on water. We see uh, Jesus healing the lame, the blind, the deaf, and the, and the dead. Believer, Christ lives in you. 
Jesus did all these uh, wonderful miracles uh, to show his, his power. Uh, but don't we know, believer, that those physical uh, issues pale in comparison to the spiritual issues that are all around us? Believer, Christ lives in you. When we share the gospel with someone else, in, in effect, the, 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 the blind are able to see Christ. The deaf are able to hear Christ. The lame are able to live for Christ. And the dead, those dead in trespasses and sins come, in li- come alive through Christ, through sharing of the gospel. We see Christ lives in us. Are we reflecting uh, that truth in our life? We see Christ dying on the cross, and we see Christ uh, fulfilling His particular call to be our substitute, sacrifice on the cross. Christ lives in us, believer. Do we reflect that sacrificial life that's willing to uh, give to others, die to ourselves daily, die to this world? As Paul says, even in Galatians, I'm crucified to the world. The world is crucified to me, and I'm crucified to the world. Lastly, we see Jesus resurrected from the grave. Uh, And we uh, have already experienced this as believers. We are born again, and we're given a foretaste of when Christ will come back. And we will uh, receive that glorified uh, body when we are resurrected. We see Christ. He lives in us. That we, we know that truth. But are we reflecting the life of Christ that we see in God's word in practical ways in our own life? We see the believer's identification with his death. We see the believer's identification with his life. We see how it should manifest in our, in our life. But how... how how does that happen? How does that happen? Uh, to the degree that Christ will be manifested in our life will be depend on this operating principle in the believer's life. We see it in our text. This operating principle in the believer's life is a life of faith. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. The common rephrase, refrain of Christ in the gospel is, where's your faith? Where's your faith? Oh, you of little faith. There's two instances I see in, uh, there's only two instances I see Christ where Christ marveled or was struck with wonder or was amazed. Do you remember those two instances? One instance is when the centurion, he healed the centurion servant. And uh, the centurion believed that Christ could heal him with just with his spoken word. Didn't have to see him, just with his spoken word. And, and Jesus, it says Jesus marveled and said, I have not seen such great faith, not even in all of Israel. He marveled. The second instance is probably lesser known. But if, if you remember, Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. And it, it says uh, he could not do any mighty work there. Do you remember Why? Because they did not believe. It says kind of in passing. He marveled. It says he, Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Where are we at? Where's, where's our faith? Is it, is it a great faith? Is it no faith at all? No, no faith at all. Faith is, is vital. Faith is key. Some would say, you know, love, love is greater than faith. I agree with you that the scriptures testify that, to that. But uh, uh, faith, hope, and love... Uh, uh, abides, but the greatest of these is love. But friend, love is the blossom on the vine of faith. Faith must come first. Faith is foundational. Faith is key. 
Life begins in faith. And we see that uh, as, as Paul uh, says here in Galatians, that we begin in faith. As uh, when we come to Christ, we, we're justified uh, by faith. But there's this idea we see in Galatians 2.20, there's this continuing faith. I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith. Uh, just as um, an aside, faith is not feeling. You know, we, we often get those two confused, faith and feeling. Uh, for many, uh, you know, we, we say, you know, I don't, I don't feel very spiritual. Uh, I don't feel like uh, having my quiet time. I don't feel uh, very saved. I don't feel very joyful. Um, friends, I don't find the scriptures that we should live by our feelings. The just live by faith. The just live by faith, not by feeling. I'm not saying that we, we should ignore our feelings, but we shouldn't, certainly shouldn't be governed by our feelings. The just shall live by faith. What is faith? Faith is a personal trust in who Christ is and what He does. It's saying, I'm, I'm banking my whole life on Him to save me, to sustain me, to keep me in the everyday um, occurrences of life. There's an acronym for it. Forsaking all, I trust Him. Forsaking all, I trust Him. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Uh, we, we have stairs in our house, and I, I can't distinctly remember the first time, but uh, we have five kids, and, but there was, uh, I know one, one time, and Tess is our oldest, she's nine years old now, but uh, so years ago, when um, she jumped off those steps, and I'm sure I put her up to it, because uh, she's scared of heights, still is, and um, so I, I'm sure I put her up to it, I said, Tess, come on up there, go up, to, go up a few steps. And so she, you know, she did. And I said, now, Tess, why don't you jump off? I'll catch you. And, you know, of course, she's hesitant. Uh, she's not sure. She's scared. She's nervous of what could happen. But then she looks at me. She hears me telling her. She knows me. She knows not just about me, but she knows me. She knows uh, I'm trustworthy, that I, my, my word is my bond. Uh, she knows that I love her, that I wouldn't will, willfully want to hurt her. And so she thinks, and she decides she jumps. And I catch her, of course. And then I, I tell her, well, well, try it again, try it again. And she goes up, and, and she goes up to that step. And, and maybe she, this time she's a less hesitant. And she jumps, and I catch her again. And this time I don't even have to tell her. She runs up, and let's do it again, let's do it again, Daddy. It was fun, it was fun. And so I, I, I catch her, and, and the, the other kids, uh, they, they catch on. And um, uh, Toby, he's, still got a, he's two years old. And he doesn't trust me too much, but he'll only jump off the first step. <laughs> but he'll jump. Uh, but I've, I've never dropped them. Now, I'll say that next week. Uh, there's, been, there's been a couple times it's close calls, okay, but I've, I've never dropped them. This is real, genuine, vibrant, living, practical faith. Do we have it? Christ says, I'll never drop you. Trust me. You, you may not see how it works out. Would you trust me? Would you have confidence in me? I won't drop you. This is a, a living personal trust. We know uh, who God is. He is trustworthy. He loves us. It says in our text, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
his name is Hudson Taylor. He's a great missionary uh, to uh, China back in the uh, latter half of the 1800s. In 1854, he went to China as a, as a 21-year-old uh, missionary. Uh, he, he did not fit in with the missionaries who were there. They, those missionaries worked on the coast uh, of China, and he was kind of an oddball. They described him as a gruff, which was, so he was uh, unrefined, uncultured, just didn't fit in. Uh, he, um, he was quirky, he, they thought. Uh, I mean, he dressed uh, in the native uh, uh, Chinese clothing, which no, no other missionaries did. He wanted to fit in, and I thought it was a good thing. Uh, but he impre- impressed at least one missionary, and, and that missionary he married, M- Maria uh, Dyer. He was there for uh, a few year, years. Uh, uh, Hudson Taylor uh, got sick, though seriously sick, and had to return back to, to London uh, back in 1860. And in that time when he was back home in, in London, the, uh, China opened up the exterior of China because missionaries had never gone into the inside, deeper regions of China. And so that was opened up, and, and Hudson was excited. He wanted to go into the interior of China, but he could not find a mission uh, agency who would back him. And so he, he founded his own mission, the uh, China Inland Mission in 1865. Um, a year later, he he brought his first installment of missionaries, 15 missionaries, to go and serve in the interior of China. It was a pioneering uh, effort. But as with um, uh, many pioneer, pioneering efforts, uh, it was uh, rough going. He faced very difficult times. There was, um, uh, in one season, uh, riots in China, and the public press back in London said the missionaries were responsible for this. And because of that, they lost a lot of financial support to keep, their, keep them there in China. And so Hudson uh, just uh, faced the difficulties with that and um, uh, keeping the ministry afloat. But those struggles uh, were, were real. But his inner, deep, inner struggles were the, the harder part of it. He faced uh, depression, uh, bouts of temptation. And uh, I'll, just, I'll let Hudson uh, uh, Taylor speak for himself. Let me just read a, a quote from one of his uh, letters. Then came the question, is there no rescue? Must it be thus to the end, constant conflict and too often defeat? How could I preach with sincerity that to those who received Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, that is, God-like, when it was not so in my own experience? Instead of growing stronger, I seem to be getting weaker and to have less power against sin. And no wonder, for faith and even hope was getting low. I hated myself, I hated my sin, yet gained no strength against it, uh, Hudson asked. This, this is a great missionary to China. Um, Hudson agonized, he prayed, he fasted, uh, he made resolutions. Came, then came the breakthrough, and uh, hard to describe, in, so I'll, I'll let him speak for himself again. This is a letter that he wrote to his uh, sister back home in London who had 10 kids and was struggling herself. And so um, this is a letter from Hudson to his sister. Uh, All the time I felt assured that there was in Christ all I needed, but the practical question was how to get it out. He was rich truly, but I was poor. He was strong, but I weak. I knew full well that there was in the root, the stem, abundant fatness. But how to get into my puny little branch was the question. As gradually light dawned, I saw that faith was the only requisite. 
was the hand to lay hold on his fullness and make it mine. But I had not this faith. I strove for faith, but it would not come. I tried to exercise it, but in vain. Seeing more and more the wondrous supply of grace laid up in Jesus, the fullness of our precious Savior, my guilt and helplessness seemed to increase. Sins committed appeared but as trifles compared with the sin of unbelief, which was their cause, which could not or would not take God at his word, but rather made him a liar. I prayed for faith, but it came not. What was I to do? When my agony of soul was at its height, a sentence in a letter from dear McCarthy, this was his friend, he was, he was dealing with similar issues, was used to remove the scales from my eyes and the Spirit of God revealed to me the truth of our oneness with Jesus. And I see it, we see it in our text today. As I had never known it before, McCarthy, who had been much exercised by the same sense of failure, but saw the light before I did, wrote, and I quote from memory, Hudson says, but how to get faith strengthened, not by striving after faith, but by resting on the faithful one. As I read, I saw it all. I looked to Jesus and saw. And when I saw, oh, how joy overflowed that he had said, I will never leave thee. It reminds me of Hebrews 11, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, finisher of our faith. Hudson continues, Ah, there is rest, I thought. I have striven in vain to get to rest in him. I'll strive no more. For he, Has he not promised to abide with me, never to leave me, never to fail me? And dearie, he never will. His letter continues, but I'll, I'll close with that. Uh, a colleague of Hudson reports this about him. Um, he was a joyous man now, a bright, happy Christian. He had been a toiling, burdened one before with latterly not much rest of soul. It was resting in Jesus now. And letting him do the work, which makes all the difference. Whenever he spoke at meetings after that, a new power seemed to flow from him. And in the practice things of life, a new peace possessed him. Troubles did not worry him as before. He cast everything on God in a new way and gave more time to prayer. Years later, uh, uh, Hudson spent the night at someone's house. And, and someone at, the, the host asked him, But are you always conscious of abiding in Christ? Hudson replied, while sleeping last night, did I cease to abide in your home because I was unconscious of the fact? We should never be conscious of not abiding in Christ. I, I don't know if, if uh, Hudson Taylor had a life verse, um, but I suspect that this verse was probably at the top of the list. And he quotes it to his sister that I read earlier. It's Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Uh, Paul sends us a postcard, and I believe the Lord, through Paul, sends us the same message. I wish you were here. The view is magnificent. It's beautiful. Paul has been there. We've, have we heard about it? We heard about it just this morning. Have you been there? The greatest thing is, is that we can stay there. And this is a very, very heaven on earth. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we are, we are amazed by your love that you have shown us through Christ, who 
uh, loved us and, and gave himself for us. Lord, I, I don't know how you may, may work in people's hearts uh, this morning, but Lord, just pray you'll have free reign that we will yield ourselves to you. Uh, Lord, that we will uh, know the truth of these verses, not just in our minds, but in our very lives, that we have been crucified with Christ, and now Christ lives in us. Lord, help us to live by faith in him, resting, trusting on the faithful one. We're thankful for this truth, Lord, and just pray now uh, as we continue with the invitation, Lord, that you would be glorified. Lord, we pray all this in Christ's name.